0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Life in Exile, a study of the book of First Peter. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. We have been in this book of First Peter since the beginning of August, and next week will be our last week. We're going to be finishing it up. Um, it's been a pretty good series. Obviously, it's a great book, and uh, I know I've grown. I've enjoyed it. I've heard from many of you. You have as well. Um, I'm going to pray. Jump in. We got a lot of work to do this morning. Let me let me get after it, Father. Uh, we do thank you for your grace to us, that we have been reminded of your grace already several times through this gathering. We've been reminded that no matter how broken we feel, no matter how to, how bent, how depressed, how down, or maybe even how excited we are, you call us to greater things, which is yourself. You call us in to worship you. and Father, when we get close to you, we realize that we're not holy and you are, and that Thankfully, because of your gospel, we have the freedom to repent and confess our sins to you and and we're reminded that Christ died for our sins, and that ensures us that we can be forgiven and we can have access to you and the power of sin is cut and broken in our own life, and one day we'll have perfect harmony and perfect unity with you as we get to walk with you in the uh in the new heavens, the new earth and so we thank you for all the ways that your grace has gone before us and Um, We thank you for the word of God that we have to study this morning. Um, We might be here and not be expecting anything from you, uh, but I pray that your grace was expecting that and your Holy Spirit would preempt our own boredom, preempt our own distraction, preempt our own idolatries, and that you would meet us here in your text, meet us here and maybe in an unsuspecting way um, through the scripture this morning. I ask that you would think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords that you would help me this morning and help us hear your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if we look, if you open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, um, there's Bibles in all in in the little black things that go over the chairs if you don't have one. You can open up the ESV app or open up the Bible app on your phone if you don't have one, if you don't have a Bible. We're in chapter 5. Now, obviously, these sermons they can't really be standalone sermons because Everything that we say and everything, let's just say, in chapter 5 is built upon the foundation of everything that happened in the first four chapters of the book of 1 Peter. Um, and so Peter reminds us of that by, look how he starts our section this morning. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, So, right? He begins this whole section with the word so. Ween in the Greek. And it means, the, in another word, he's said this a lot, therefore. Right? By using that word, To begin this section on church leadership, Peter is connecting his admonitions to the elders and church members with what he was talking about in the previous section and the previous sections before that. Let me clarify. Peter is saying this morning, because of all of the difficulties and all the suffering that these Christians are experiencing, leadership matters. That's the simple term. It's a simple phrase. Now, it's been said by the great leadership guru, John Maxwell, that everything rises and falls on leadership. What he means by that statement is that leadership is the determining factor of success or failure in any endeavor. Leadership is that important. If you want a business or a school or a team to be successful, It's not enough to get great employees or great students or great players. You must be able to hire, retain, attract great leaders. It just so happens that one of the best illustrations of this reality is the last decade of dominance by the Alabama Crimson Tide college football team. Hear me out. Ten years ago, the University of Alabama hired Nick Saban. Saban had been a coach at Michigan State. I knew I was going to get that kind of reaction. I love it. Uh, He had been hired, or he had been at Michigan State, and he turned that program around, and he went to LSU. He won a national championship there before moving to the NFL to coach the Miami Dolphins for a little while. Then Saban took the Alabama job. And listen to this statistic. Listen to this fact. Sorry. <laughs> in five out of the last nine years, the Alabama Crimson Tide have won the College Football National Championship. And they and they have finished second twice. That means they have been number one or number two in the country for seven out of the last nine years. This is a feat that has never been done before and has earned Nick Saban the title by many as the greatest coach of all time. With his championship win this year, he tied the great Bear Bryant, took Bear Bryant a lot longer of a career to accomplish what he's already accomplished. Alabama's success on the football field is the result of outstanding leadership. See, leadership matters no matter what you're doing. If you're looking at great companies like Apple, leadership matters. If you're looking at great organizations, leadership matters. And this reality is not only true in business and education and sport, it's also true of the church. Leadership matters. But oftentimes when things are going well in our life, and we we tend to ignore the realities of leadership. If our life is going pretty well, we got some money in the bank, we can take a good vacation in the summer, we don't really care who's in the White House, right? We don't really care maybe even who's the CEO of our company. But when the threat of war or calamity or disease or collapse threatens our way of life, then we quickly realize how how much good leadership really matters. Well, that's the situation that Peter is writing into. The apostle Peter is writing into an experience where these these new believers have come to faith and they're experiencing the painful cultural and relational repercussions that came to them because of their conversion to Christianity. So as they were converted, it wasn't just all rainbows and daisies and sunshines. Their conversion to Christianity brought persecution, brought pain and relational misfunction or malfunction or whatever into their life, right? Some of their parents rejected them for embracing their Christian faith. Some of their neighbors made fun of them. Some of them got fired, right? It brought some difficulty into their life. They're struggling. They're confused. I wasn't thinking about this, but it just came to me this week. In China, this past week, the government blew up the largest churches. The largest church in the country uh, had this this one building had fifty thousand members that worshipped it on a weekly basis, and the government blew it up. Blew it up. Right? Can you imagine the government? Blowing up your building, you have no place to gather. Now what? How do you live out your Christian faith? Well, if you live in Christian if you live in missional communities and you live in homes, there's not really much difference. You just got to figure out a place to gather on Sunday, right? But this is the kind of pressure that Peter is writing into, right? All this all these problems are going on. They're going through some difficult times because of their faith. and what we know historically, that they are soon, they're going to go through things that they probably right now can't even imagine. The newly appointed Emperor Nero is going to have many of them thrown to the lions and bears in the Colosseum for sport. That Christianity will soon be outlawed and persecution will greatly increase. But right now, as Peter is writing to these believers, the persecution is just what we would consider kind of normal persecution. They're they're marginalized, they're ostracized, they're made fun of, they have relational dysfunction, they're being ridiculed, etc. And what Peter is saying to them and to us by extension is if you're going to make it when the culture is hostile to you, if you're going to make it when suffering hits and persecution hits, if you're going to endure, you need good leaders. The same is true for us today when your life hits a difficult point, when you experience pain and suffering, when the culture continues to get more and more secular and it gets increasingly difficult to live as a normal Christian and to navigate our difficult cultural waters, leadership matters. So the first thing we should ask is, who leads the church? Peter's answer for us is right there, In verse one, he says this, so I exhort, he's preaching to, he's writing to, he's teaching to now directly to the elders among you. This word elders, it does obviously refer to those who are older typically, uh, but it's not necessarily just an age thing. Um, This word is borrowed from ancient Israel Uh, In the Greek, the word is presbyteros, presbyteros. This is where we get the English word Presbyterian. It's a type of church government, a church leadership structure that's led by elders. This word presbyteros is the most common term in the New Testament for the leaders of the church, all right? Um, from this verse and then others like it in Acts 20 that we'll look at later, we're going to see that the elders are a group of men who function as overseers of the church and they function within what we call a plurality of, of authority. Look what Peter says here. I exhort the elders among you as the Pope. No, he doesn't say that, right? Right? He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So what he's saying is, we're all elders here. My influence isn't really from the top down. It isn't because God chose me and I'm an, I'm an apostle. He doesn't claim his you know, apostolic rights here. He says, no, we're plurality of elders. Listen to me as, one, as a fellow elder and take my advice as a fellow elder. And this is how elders rule the church. There's not one, and then everybody else kind of submits to him that the elders work as a plurality, a team. So for instance, in our church, we have a plurality of elders. Like if we're, when the elders vote on something to hire someone, to buy a building, to make a decision, I, as the, you could say, I am the chief elder because I planted the church and I started the thing. I have one vote, right? In this church right here, we have five other elders. That means I can easily be outvoted anytime on any decision right? And so, you know, I can't just go, you know what? I feel like I need a raise, right? I can't do that. The elders have to decide that, right? So Peter, though he is an apostle here, he's writing as a fellow elder. He doesn't say, hey, I'm the Pope. You better listen to me and kiss my ring, right? He says, I am a fellow elder. I'm just like one of you. I'm equal with you. And he goes on, look, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, it's an interesting term. We know that Peter ran away at the cross, so Peter actually didn't see Jesus at the cross, but he witnessed Jesus suffer throughout his life, and he saw, saw, thought, saw him be, begin the, the, the passion, the greatest suffering of his life in the, in the garden. Keep reading. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here we go. This is the whole theme of Peter, right? Peter connecting present day suffering with our future glorification that one day we're going to experience all of sin being removed and being out from under the power of sin. And we're going to experience a new glory, a new freedom, right? He said, I'm a partaker in that. I've seen the suffering of Jesus and I'm a partaker in that glory that's going to be revealed. He's reminding them, hey, my reward as an elder is future too, Like, He's not sitting on some kind of throne in Rome, getting money from all the churches and he's got this lavish lifestyle. He's suffering along with them. He's saying, my reward is coming when Christ comes back as well. I'm in this difficulty with you. I'm in the trenches right beside you, suffering through this difficult time as we wait for Jesus to return and bring our full redemption and glorify our bodies while he renews all the earth. So the first thing we see about this thing of the, this elders or this eldership is that it's a plurality. They, they, they lead together. Next, we, we need to ask, and, and um, listen, there's gonna be a lot, you're gonna have a lot, you might have a lot of questions on, on this because we're gonna really be talking about who leads the church. And many of us, We've grown up in all kinds of different church backgrounds or no church backgrounds. Many of us are just altogether suspicious of any form of leadership. Got many people in our culture that just push away from leadership and say, I'm against organized religion. And and they push back from it. And I like Jesus, but I don't love the church. Well, the problem with that is Jesus loves his church and that Jesus leads through his church, and Jesus ministers through his church, and Jesus appoints certain people to lead his church. And so if we want to grow in our faith, we need to come under some form of leadership. And we think the best leadership is the leadership that models itself most closely to the revealed word of God that God's given us, okay? So we're going to go there. What do the elders do? Look at verse 2. So, he, so he, first time he says, so I exhort the elders among you. And in verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That word shepherd there, that word in the Greek, I'm going to use some Greek today. I'll explain them all. It's poimen, okay, poimen. That's where we get the term pastor, right? Um, in the Latin, pastor means shepherd. That's what it is, all right? The word for shepherd is pastor, so it's important for us to see this, this, this and understand this. Pastoring is a function of the office of elder. An elder is to pastor. An elder is to shepherd the flock of God, the people that God has given them to oversee and care for. Now, why do I make that point? Many of us grew up in churches that had pastors and elders. And those were somehow different things okay? Peter right here is saying elders, pastor. They're not two separate offices. So at Sacred City, we use the terms elder and pastors interchangeably, and elder pastors, and elder shepherds. So in some uh, churches that are more influenced by the culture and are kind of CEO type models of business leadership, you have the pastor, maybe it's called the senior pastor, and he's the Leader over the church. Then you have an elder board and the elder board are oftentimes just kind of businessmen who are good at business and they kind of oversee the things of the church, right? And then you maybe have a deacon board under that and they basically clean the church and take care of the grounds and things like that. I want you to see that in in a lot of ways, that is an unbiblical church structure, okay? That the pastor isn't really functioning as a plurality of elders. He's kind of Functioning as a CEO over his board of directors, right? And we don't—I don't think that's that's healthy because I don't think it's appropriate biblically. Now, look, look, let's keep going. There's one other term I want you to see. When he says there, exercising oversight, that is the word episkopos, and that's where um, Catholics and, and some other Greek Orthodox—that's where they get their term bishop bishop comes from that term. And so in the Roman Roman Catholicism, you kind of have, you know, you have you have the pope and then you have priests and you have or you, then you have bishops and then you have priests. But again, Peter is not using these as separate offices. He's saying an elder pastors and bishops. <laughs> That's what exercising oversight means. An elder shepherds and oversees a local congregation. It's all the same person. A pastor is a shepherd, is a bishop. A pastor is an elder, is a bishop. They're used interchangeably. Now, what what does an elder do then? So an elder shepherds, so what does a shepherd do? To put it simply, there's basically four things that a shepherding elder has to do. One, they must know their sheep. Two, they feed their sheep. Three, they protect their sheep, And four, they lead their sheep. I'm gonna break this down. First, know their sheep. This is another reason why we say around here that church membership matters. This is one way we can ensure that the elders of Sacred City know every single person who calls Sacred City their home. If you're in the hospital, we wanna know about it. If you've had a loss, we wanna know about it. If you're suffering, we want to know about it but we cannot shepherd you if we don't know you. We also know you through our missional communities. Many of you don't know this, but every month our elders get together with our missional community leaders in what we call huddles to discuss what's going on in each and every single one of our missional communities. See, if you're suffering, we want to know about it. If you're going through a difficult season in your marriage, we want to know about it. As you tell your missional community, your missional community leader refers it back to the elders. On Wednesday morning, all the elders meet together. We pray for you by name when you're going through difficult times like that, the things that we're aware of. This is one way or two ways that we want to know our sheep. We are responsible to God to shepherd you. We want to know you. We want to know your name. And so all the elders here... Uh, first step, we want to we want to know our sheep. So if you're here and you call us your home, and you call me maybe your pastor and the elders who are your pastor, step into church membership so we can know you in a greater way and you can know us in a greater way. Second, elders are to feed their sheep. Feeding the sheep means to provide the biblical teaching necessary for each of us to grow up into maturity in Christ. The elders oversee the preaching and the teaching. And some of the elders, all the elders teach, but some of the elders preach as well. We we choose the MC curriculum. We oversee the Sunday liturgy. Um, my, one of my primary jobs is choosing books of the Bible, what to go through next and, and to preach verse by verse through. Books of the Bible. It's our responsibility to ensure that the gospel is being faithfully preached week in and week out throughout all of our gatherings, throughout all of our churches, throughout all of our missional communities. And it's obviously, it's my great joy to feed you the word of God each Sunday. We want to provide a well-balanced diet, so we go back and forth between studying an Old Testament book and then studying a New Testament book, and we sprinkle in some uh, topical series now and then. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I am very excited for what God's going to be teaching us in this new year. Um, I spent a day away planning out the year, um, praying, where would God have us to go? And um, I'm pretty excited about it. And I'll just tell you, I'm going to go through it real quick. We are going to take, so next week is our last week in First Peter, and then we're going to spend nine weeks um, studying the kind of topic of revival, and now many of us probably have some idea of revival in our head. Um, you know, we, we've, we've, our tent days are past, okay? So don't think that. No snakes will be brought out on, on stage. Um, <clears throat> but revival is this concept, this idea where a special move of God happens, and many people come to know him, and many people grow in their faith, and even the culture gets changed a little bit. We're going to study some past revivals. We're going to look to the text, what happens in revival, And and this is really growing out of my great desire to see the people that I'm on mission to um, come to know Jesus. Like I've been sharing the gospel with people and they just haven't been getting it. And I know it's not up to me, it's up to God. So let's pray for revival. Let's pray for God to do something in our city. That's what I want to see happen. That's what we're going to spend the first nine weeks of this year or the next nine weeks talking about. Then Hopefully, God will do something and bring some new people in, and then we're going to be examining Ecclesiastes, taking a long look at life under the sun. And Ecclesiastes is one of, many scholars say, the best book of the Bible to study for our understanding our secular world that we're living in. Because the whole mentality of the book is, everything under the sun, I've done it all, and nothing makes me happy, now what? It's basically the test, that's basically the thesis of the book. So we're going to be examining a lot of things there. We're going to be taking a look at that. Then um, we're going to be taking six weeks learning how to pray like Jesus. Uh, We're going to be studying six weeks in uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about it all, if you can't tell. And then we're going to finish the year and begin the new year next year, Take. Tackling the most ambitious project uh, we have under, ever undergone so far. We're going to be going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah. My stack of commentaries is like this at home right now, okay? So everybody's like, woo! Tried to see that one, but I, you, I, you lost me in whores and dragons, right? Like, that's what happens. You start reading that book, and it's like, we got lampstands, we got fire-breathing dragons, Jesus is shooting lightning out of his eyeballs. What's happening? Well, we're going to be studying it. It's going to be difficult. We're going to work our way through it, but the Lord's going to meet us there. Uh, I'm, I, I am approaching it. I am not approaching this book with a swagger, let me tell you. I am approaching it with great trepidation, but I'm also expecting God to do to, to do great things uh, in this in this new year. So this is some of the ways that elders, we take, it, we take a great responsibility in feeding our sheep, right? We don't get up here and give a little TED talk with a Bible verse, okay? We don't get up here just to make you feel good and give you some oprified sayings that you can go out and just, woo, I feel motivated, right? And then by two o'clock, you forgot everything. We wanna provide deep, theologically rich uh, meat from the word of God, all right, so elders, um, we know the sheep, we feed the sheep. Next, elders are called to protect the sheep. We do this by creating and maintaining a safe environment in all of our worship spaces. We've hired security to help us in this. We've got cameras in the kids' area. We shovel and salt the walks so nobody breaks a hip on the way in. But there's a danger that is much greater to us than any physical harm from an outsider or a slip and fall in the ice. Please go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul speaking here. And he's speaking specifically to the elders. And he says, when you're in verse 28, so there. All right. It might be on the screen. Yeah, cool. He says this, pay careful attention to yourselves. So he's telling elders to look in at their own heart, to pay attention to their own rhythms and ways of life in which the, look, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Episkopos, that's the word for bishop again. So, He's saying that elders don't just choose their own authority. We don't just decide I want to be an elder, but the Holy Spirit actually places us in the position of the eldership. What's our job? Look, to care for the church of God. It's God's people, which look at this. He obtained with his own blood. That's how precious, that's how weighty the church is. It's a high responsibility. But then look what, look what Paul says. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And look, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Paul's speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church and he's saying, you better watch your life and you better watch those under your care very closely because some elders and some members and some visitors will go rogue and become fierce wolves that will destroy the church by teaching twisted things to draw disciples after them. Now that's hard teaching hey guys, I love you, I planted the church, I appointed the elders, but more than likely, some of you are jacked up and you're going to start teaching twisted things. You better watch yourself and watch each other. That's hard teaching. Jesus, we know, was the best leader to ever live and one of his followers was a devil. So part of our job as elders is to look over to watch our life and doctrine closely. Watch your own life. So our elders function as a larger fight club. If you know that term around here, we meet every Wednesday morning. We, We gospel one another. We share our lives, our struggles with one another. We're in community with one another. We want to say our community is a little microcosm of the rest of the church. As the elders go, so goes the rest of the church. We want to watch our own life and doctrine closely. Part of our job is to snuff out false teaching and to keep false teachers from twisting God's word and leading people astray. And we've had this a few times in our church. We've had pe- People get all kind of weird doctrine. And we had people, um, we baptize in a Trinitarian, the Trinitarian name of God. We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Jesus told us to in Matthew 28. And for so- and, and we had people or a couple people join our church that thought You should only baptize in Jesus' name. And we were baptizing people in the Trinitarian formula as Jesus gave us, and these people were going back behind the scenes and telling people that had just been baptized that your baptized didn't count because it wasn't just in Jesus' name. And they were speaking twisted things, and we had to step in and say, if you don't stop this, you're not welcome at our church. If you continue teaching this, go away. We'll, we'll, We'll prevent you from coming to our gathering. And we take doctrine seriously, because souls hang in the balance. And so occasionally I'll draw a line in the kind of doctrinal sand and I'll say, you know, this is heresy. This is not good. Even today, when I said that CEO model of church, it's not good. It's not healthy for God's people. If you've ever been in a church that the pastor had all the authority that he wanted and he could do whatever he wanted, you know how detrimental that kind of leadership is. He can fire who he wants. He can hire who he wants. He can, you know, do whatever he wants and basically gets away with it. And he get, he's got his own little kingdom. It's dangerous leadership. And if you've been under that type of leadership, you probably have scars from it because God matures us through good leadership. And many of the times we get wounded through poor leadership. So elder pastors are called to protect their sheep. Lastly, elders are called to lead their sheep. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So all the elders say, follow me as I follow Christ. And when we point an elder at Sacred City Church, we're confirm, af- affirming them to all of you and saying, follow these men, they're worthy of you following them. They've been tested, they've been tried, they've been found true. All of our elders... Now listen, I'm not saying that we're holy, some, like holy like up there. I'm not saying that we are without sin. All of our, we're human beings. Many of us, the elders, we, we step into eldership with great trepidation. We read the requirements in Titus and Timothy and we wonder, I don't know, am I there? We struggle with our own sins. We have our own families. We have our own brokenness. We have all of these things. We're not saying that these men are perfect but these men are all worthy of emulation. Listen, all of our elders are in missional communities. I find it a great hypocrisy when a pastor gets up and waxes eloquently about everyone joining a small group or ever joining a missional community, and yet he's not in one. It's the first thing you should ask. Anytime you go to a church that says something about small groups, is the pastor in one? No, forget it. It's bogus. All of our our elders are in missional communities. All of our elders give sacrificially of their finances at or above 10%. All of our elders serve the poor in our city on a monthly basis. Our elders love God. They love his word. They love his people. And they want those who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. That means our elders are missionally focused as well. These are men whom you should feel confident following. But it's at this point where we talk about elders leading the sheep, where it's really a point of diversion from other avenues of leadership, other forms of leadership. See, for the most point, to go back to my illustration, it doesn't really matter how Nick Saban leads as long as he doesn't break any NCAA rules or gets caught doing it, and as long as he wins championships, (laughs) no one really cares if he's the world's biggest jerk. No one really cares if he's, super controlling. Nobody cares if he can't sleep at night. Nobody cares if he works 100 hours during the season and 80 in the off-season. Nobody cares if he can't lead his family well. Nobody cares if his marriage falls apart. Nobody cares if he's got women on the side. I'm not saying he does. I'm just saying nobody cares. All that matters is that he gets results. Church leadership could not be more different. Not only do we have the character requirements in Titus and Timothy that require elders to live lives that are above reproach? Peter also shows us here how elders are supposed to lead the flock of God. Let's get back to our text. He says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So, exercising oversight. Think about a shepherd looking over his sheep. Okay, this is the analogy. Look at, oh, is one going off? Uh Uh-oh, right? One about to go off the cliff? Oh, we got to get after that one, right? Exercising oversight, okay? Not, so here's what he's going to do. He's going to say, not this, but this. Not this, but this. Not this, but this. this, this." Exercise, so shepherd the flock, Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So this is what Peter's saying. Elders, leaders, don't lead, and I'm gonna even let this trickle down to missional community leaders. Any form of leadership, you're not leading under compulsion. Oh, I gotta do it. Oh, gotta go to a hospital visit again. Oh. About to watch Netflix. Not under, not being driven from any outside forces. I don't do my job to look good in the eyes of people, I don't do my job to earn an identity. I'm not driven by my, I get to do this job willingly. This is a a calling from God. Is it difficult? Absolutely. Is it soul stretching and time consuming? And you want to pull your hair out a lot of times? Absolutely it is. But don't do it under compulsion. Do it willingly. You've been called. This is a gift to you. Every MC leader knows what it's like to do their job under compulsion And it's not fun, it's not a joy to you or those that you lead. Neither is me. Oh, i will go to preach this morning, right? No, I do it willingly. Not that I always feel that way, okay? As God would have you, look, look, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. There has been, at times during the church, there have been men that don't wanna work hard, men that don't want to study hard, men that want a cushy nine to five job and they could sit in an office and and kind of feel good about themselves. And and honestly, many times, they want a job that's got a really low standard of quality. And too many times, the job of pastor has fit the bill there. They don't really need an education. They don't really need a guy to work hard. They don't really, nobody really watches over me. I mean, I could only like work two days a week and come in, collect a salary. It's a pretty sweet gig. Peter says, that's not a good shepherd. It's not a good elder. Don't do it for shameful gain. Do it eagerly. Do it eagerly. Lastly, not domineering over those in your charge. Not ruling with an iron fist or ruling with a scepter that gets your way no matter what, that dominates those, that oppresses those under your leadership, but being examples to the flock. Jesus, now let's keep going here. This is an elder. This is what elders, this is who's supposed to lead the church. These are elders who pastor and oversee. Look what he says to these elders. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now there's two things that are going on here. One, elders And I want to just let it it trickle down to leadership. All leadership need to remember that we will never be repaid on this earth. Many times pursuing someone who's in sin and trying to love someone, you're going to get hurt by them. They're going to say, if you share the word of God with somebody, they're going to say bad things about you. It's going to hurt. They're going to leave. You're never going to, that's never going to feel right. We have to look for our eternal reward, right? Right? Leaders typically are the ones who sacrifice the most, the most family time, the most financially, the most for the kingdom. And we're not, we can't get our eyes on the earthly realm. If we get our eyes too much on this earthly realm, we forget, we start feeling sorry for ourselves. And We forget that our reward is in heaven. Now, next, look what he says here. He says, the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd. In our quote-unquote kind of organizational chart at Sacred City that you learn about in the, in the uh, membership process, we have Jesus, Jesus, as our senior pastor. And it's because Jesus here is the chief shepherd. So the image is Jesus is the lead shepherd and he's appointing under shepherds, elders to oversee the church, and he's bringing members into the body and he's the one putting sheep in the pen, Right? Jesus is the one doing this, and the model of great leadership is the chief shepherd. Now, I've had many people, when I'm talking to them about church membership, I'm talking to them about going to church or joining a church, you know, they say something like, you know, I don't like the church, but I'm all for Jesus, and Jesus is my senior pastor. And so somehow they interpret that as they can neglect the gathering of the local body of believers. But that's not, that's completely taking this out of context, right? Jesus is my senior pastor. He just tells me what to do. I got a direct line with him. That's not what Jesus says. Through the word of God right here, he says, Jesus is our chief shepherd and he shepherds us through our elders, through our leaders. This is how God speaks to us in some ways and guides us and helps us make decisions, and I know in America it's very foreign. We're, we like autonomy. Many of us can't even get it like can't even like think about the thought of before I move, maybe I should talk to an elder about it. We're Americans, so we think if my career if it's taking off, and the and the projection for my career and the direction for my career takes me out of this city and takes me to another city, you know, I want to I want to move up and move on. I should just do it. I shouldn't even think about talking to an elder about it who can access maybe where I'm at in my soul. Is there another church there? I have friends who have followed their careers into seasons of complete silence and solitude from God. They, they took a job where there was no good church in the area and their souls shriveled for a decade. Many of us can't even get around our minds that before dating this person, before asking this person to marry me, maybe I should consult an elder, maybe I should talk to a missional community leader or an elder or a deacon about this. You would be saved, you could be saved a lifetime of pain and misery if you did that. As an elder myself, before I make a large purchase, I call other elders, I ask them. I call deacons, I ask them. Is this a wise decision? Do you think I should do this? All right. wisdom is in many counselors. We should seek out the advice of our elders. And then Peter here is saying that we're all, we are all being pastored by Jesus as we submit ourselves to the biblically qualified leadership of the church. Now listen, even the elders, right? Even the elders. Right here, the elders here are being shepherded by Peter. Peter's saying, hey, as a fellow elder, let me elder you. Right? As a fellow elder, let me elder you. Let me shepherd you. I want a little course correction here. All of, Every elder has got a different gift set. Some are more organizationally minded. Some are more pastorally shepherd minded, right? And so the elders function as a true plurality. They work together as a team, all right? Now, let's keep moving on. Verse five, likewise, Peter loves these words. He loves these connecting words, So for those of you who are like, oh, boring, I don't care about leadership. I'm not gonna be a leader, I'm never gonna be a leader, I don't really care. Peter says, likewise. Basically, everything I just said about elders, you need to be doing too. It's true of you. Do you know that we're all called to lead in some some form or fashion? We're all called to lead. Lead our families, lead our department at work, lead our classrooms. Lead our group of friends and we're all called to lead and that's the process of discipleship to make disciples wherever we're going. So Peter says this, likewise, you who are younger, now this is again, much like the elders term, it does refer to younger, but it also kind of refers to like younger in the faith or those who are not elders. Okay, let me show you that. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, I tiptoe and say this, okay? It feels so weird for me to say this as an elder. Um, and I realize the pushback, the cultural wind that's pushing against me when I say church members, younger folk, visitors, attenders, people who call Sacred City your home, be subject to the elders. Every American bone in our body wants to give the finger to that, okay? Be subject? And we can even go through our past or do an internet search and we can point at poor shepherds And we can think about bad pastors we've had or bad church experiences we've had and we can make a long list and we can say, see, that's why I'll never subject myself to elders because they can take advantage of me and they can hurt me. But the reality is God has made us to be under this type of authority. He's made us to thrive inside a good plurality of eldership. And yet, you know what? Maybe it was a poor leadership structure. Maybe it was just a sinful pastor, maybe it was whatever, but we're still called to submit ourselves without fear to our elders. So Peter's admonitions here are for church members, as church leadership, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. As, let me say it like this. I want you And Peter wants you to submit yourself to your church leaders as they submit themselves to Christ. Don't follow me into sin. Don't follow me into foolishness. Don't follow me into folly. Don't follow any elder into that. Follow them as they submit their life to Christ. And I hope you're close enough to them to to see that, to watch that, to follow them. Hebrews 13, 17, just in case we don't really get it, says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. Listen, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, listen to me. If I ever say to you, you better submit to me. You better say, well, actually we'd probably be in a heated argument, so we probably should say anything right there. Don't listen to me when I say that, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. Listen, this is, this is like husbands leading your wife and wives submitting to your husband. If a husband has to say, you need to submit to me, then you've already lost it, sir. It's already gone. In some way, you're not worthy to be submitted to in that moment. If you need it, you're not worthy of it. That we lead under. We push others up. We carry people on our back. We lay our lives down like Christ did for the church. So Peter is saying, members, submit to your leaders, but I will never use that as something to twist your arm. And a good leader never will. A good elder never will. I can't stand something about you, so I try. Submit to me. Right? Never. Never. Submit yourselves, be subject to. Now, if you're not a Christian in here and you came in this morning, you're like, no. Who does this guy think he is? I get it. I get it. Why would I submit myself to you or any elder or any person? I have a brain. I have a brain in my head. I have an education. I know a little bit of thing about life. I don't need to submit to you. I, as a matter of fact, I can search the internet and find somebody I like better. It's true. Here's, this is the whole, I'm going to tell you, this is the whole, oh, this kind of leadership, this kind of relationship between leaders and members can only happen inside the Christian religion. And the reason it can only happen inside the Christian religion is because only the Christian religion has this thing called the gospel, which is good news. It literally means good news. See, Peter says this. Look look how he says it right here. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And now look, look at this. Clothe yourselves. Literally means tie it around your waist. All of you, all of you, elders, church members, visitors, any Christian, all of you, with what? Humility toward one another. And then he drops this bomb from the book of, Proverbs, James also uses this scripture, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The universal principle that keeps all of this leadership and relationally health, this this leadership and membership keeps all this relationally healthy is a gospel generated humility. Now we don't really know, most of us don't really understand humility. Let me just Contrast it with pride. Pride seeks autonomy. I want to be my own island, make my own decisions, determine my own course for my life. I want to be in control of me. I could I would point you back to Genesis. That was the reason for the fall. The reason we look at our world and it's in ashes the reason we struggle with sin and all the problems that we have is because in the beginning, Adam and Eve chose to choose, they chose autonomy. I want to push away from God and do my own thing. that's pride. Pride seeks autonomy. Pride forces its way. Pride is domineering. Pride refuses to submit. I don't care what you say, doing it my way. Pride believes its own opinions to be absolute fact. Pride sees the faults and the sins and the failures of everybody else, but always gives oneself a path. But humility, humility is interested in others. Humility is interested in God. Humility is a self-forgetfulness that makes another person's good a small source of their own happiness. Humility rejoices when others succeed. C.S. Lewis says, if you ever met a truly humble person, you probably wouldn't really notice it. He says this, probably all, he wouldn't be like, oh, I'm so terrible. You give him a compliment. No, I'm terrible at that. That's not humility. It's it's humble when they say, thanks, God's given me a gift. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Right? Somebody just goes on and on. I'm just terrible. No, no, no. That's just pride in disguise. They're like, don't, oh no, I can't do anything. This is what C.S. Lewis says, probably if you meet this truly humble person, all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in you and what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He'll not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. just interested in you. See, pride likes to separate groups and classes of people into camps, the good guys and the bad guys, right? White hats, black hats, Republicans, Democrats, black, white, American, Russian, or whatever, any other country out there. But humility... Listen to this quote. Humility sees what's really going on in our hearts is what divides us. Not all these classes. Listen to this. I can't say this guy's name. He's a Russian novelist. He uh, um, And I'm I'm not going to get into it, but his name is Alexander. Thank you. Yep. So This is what he says. Gradually, he wrote opposing the Russian gulag and He could only publish in America and and everything. So listen, gradually it was disclosed to me. It was disclosed to me. He, He realized, let's just say through revelation, that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts inside us. It oscillates with the years. And even within hearts, overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. And even the best of all hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. See, humility recognizes I don't have a podium to stand on and those people are the bad guys. Humility realizes badness is in me. Evil runs through my veins. I have the propensity. I have the capability, given the right situations, the right circumstance to act evil. See, that breeds a humility. And when we can see that, we are ripe for the gospel. This is kind of like the pre-work that God through his spirit does in us. This is how grace precedes repentance. Grace precedes forgiveness. That grace comes to us and opens our eyes to the own, our own evil in our own heart. And no longer is it the Republicans. No longer is it the Democrats. It's what's in me that's the problem. Sin is in me. And I like to divide people. It's easier for me to think about the good guys and the bad guys than all of us kind of somewhere in the mushy middle. Now, this is important because if humility is kind of a prerequisite for understanding the gospel, for, have, for knowing God and meeting God and coming into the Christian religion, how does one get, get humility? To put it as, a, as plain as I can, as I close. Humility comes from knowing Jesus and taking his gospel into our hearts by faith. This is what Peter means when he says, clothe yourself with humility. What, you know what many commentators say? What Peter is thinking about in his mind as he's penning this is Jesus taking off his robe, putting on a towel, tying it around his waist and washing his disciples' feet even the one who would betray him. Many people have said, Justin, we should do a foot washing here. I'm like, super awkward. No, I don't want anybody's feet in my hands. It just feels weird. No, there's something deeply humiliating about that. Not only washing feet, but being washed. This is why Peter himself said, no, don't wash my feet, Lord. No, no, I should wash yours. And he says, no, not unless you let me wash you. You don't, you're not going to know me. You're not going to enter into the kingdom of God unless you humble yourself and let me wash you. And this is going on in Peter's mind as he's writing this. We all need to be washed. We all need to be humbled. We all need to look to our king, our great leader, the shep, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, and look how he led, tied a servant's garment around his waist and served. How humble. But of course, Jesus went farther still. Jesus, our chief shepherd, died for his sheep. He died to ensure that we, those sinners through and through, could be made new. And you know what? I'm just thrilled with this reality Coming to Christ isn't just about getting forgiven, guys, of your sins. Your sins, they are many, and they need to be forgiven. But you don't just get your sins forgiven and then kind of move on, and then we're going to keep sinning, we're going to be frustrated, and we're going to have this cycle our whole life of sinning, feeling like a failure, getting forgiven, and the cycle just continues, continues, continues. Coming to Christ is about being made new that there's a new eternal seed planted in your soul. That seed will never die. It will go on into eternity. And one day the whole power of sin will be broken and be removed from us. Jesus has done this by dying for his sheep. This reality, as I think about it and meditate on it, a sinner, like thinking of myself as a sinner who's prone to jump off a cliff, a sinner who's prone to evil. We sang the song today, right? My heart, it called us a wretch in one of the songs. It said that we're prone to wander away from God. We're prone to seek our own way. That he laid his life down to save us. That humbles a person. When you bring it in and you trust it and you believe it, that Jesus did this so that we could be redeemed to know God and walk with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what makes Christianity different. It's not about trying harder. It's not about doing more. It's not about being better. It's about trusting Christ, putting your hope in the shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. Now listen, As you believe that, your life begins to take on that shape. As you trust the gospel, you begin to lay your life down for others. There is no, thank you, God, I'm going to go be a jerk now. I'm going to go live my life autonomously for my own ways. No, 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 you didn't take it in. You didn't think about it, you didn't process it, you didn't believe it, you didn't trust it, you didn't love it, your affections weren't stirred by it. When you're captured by the way of Jesus, the gospel story, what he's done for you, your life will begin to take the shape of the gospel. Self-sacrificial love. Humility towards leaders. Humility towards one another. Not thinking too highly of ourselves. Loving others as Christ loves us. And you can have that now. It can begin in you now by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you structured your church. You didn't put the most competent on top. You called men to lead your church. through Mainly this office of elder, pastor, shepherd, bishop, and we were called to do it in humility, knowing that you, the chief shepherd, died for us. I pray that that would stir our hearts this morning to trust in you. And it would sink down to the dark crannies of our heart that have been wounded by poor leadership, They've been wounded by family members, friends, pastors, churches, bosses, that make us wary of submitting ourselves to leadership, and we would entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. We would entrust ourselves to those leaders that you've placed over us. Father, like a vine on the branches needs a vine dresser to come along and prune and to help us bear a lot of fruit. We need leaders. We need elders. I thank you for the elders of this church. I pray that you'd bring more, that you'd cause more uh, biblically qualified faithful men to be called to the office of elder here at Sacred City, that you'd raise us up. And I pray that you'd cause more people to come under the leadership of Sacred City, Um, that this would be a testimony, that how does this work? It works Because God has generated gospel-centered humility in his people and in their leadership. And they all trust their faithful shepherd together. Father, let the church, through our relational harmony, through the way we can be different, diverse, and yet united, may we present a compelling vision to the world of what that looks like, diversity and unity. As we come this morning, we're reminded again, we're not here because of our socioeconomic backgrounds. We're not here because of our race. We're not united by our privilege, not even united by our ethnicity or the country that we grew up in. We are united through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So we come to you this morning with hands open, To receive the grace that only you can give us through your body and through your blood. And we eat it and we bring you inside. We taste you that you are good and we bring you inside of us this morning. We're just reminded that you leave with us, that you go with us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That you are the chief shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Thank you, Lord.